can you imagine what it must have been like for those that followed Jesus in his earthly ministry? Um, maybe you've thought about it before, of course, as we think about Jesus and we read the stories of Jesus. You know, I often wonder, you know, what must it have been like to follow in his footsteps? Uh, you know, if you're like me and you've grown up in church, uh, the stories that we know from the Bible, um, from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, they're almost secondhand knowledge, right? You know them like you know many of the stories you learned as a kid and things that you've learned growing up. And, and we've heard them so much. If you're a Christian, if you're a church goer most of your life, you've heard these so much. They've become romanticized and they really become larger than life. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, it's right that when we think of Jesus, Jesus, we marvel at him and we just exalt him and we just think about him in awe and wonder. And when I think about the stories of Jesus and I think about the things that he said and the things that he did, they're always just blown up and they're always bold and they're always just louder than any other story, any other thing that I think about. And I think that's a good thing. And that's not just something the church has taught us, but his own eyewitnesses over and over again unanimously responded to his words and his actions this way. Just a couple examples in the Gospel of Matthew. There's one occasion when Jesus finished teaching. The crowds were astonished at his words because he spoke with authority. When Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, they marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even nature obeys him? So the, the followers of Jesus, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, they are on, on record as attesting to his majesty, to his awesome power and wonder and it reminds me of that old hymn that I love so much. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And, and I honestly believe anyone who opens the Bible, anybody that begins to read the stories of Jesus will be amazed and taken aback at the person of Jesus. And if you take these accounts as eyewitness, which we do, as historical records of a man who lived and loved a world that used him and rejected him, it makes his purity and it makes his graciousness all the more marvelous. And here we are 2,000 years later, we still sing about him, we still talk about him, we still pray to him, we still look for him because he's still the same Savior today. He still invites us to follow him, to walk with him, to find rest in him, to take refuge in him. He invites you today to place your faith in him and trust his plan of salvation. I'm thankful he has a plan that anticipates the bumps in the roads, right? He is big enough for your questions. If you, if you say, I don't follow Jesus because I've got too many questions, listen, he's big enough for your questions. He's big enough for your concerns. He doesn't mind your doubts. He doesn't even bother with your unwavering commitment or your wavering commitment. He just wants you to begin to follow him, and he believes that will be enough to convince you to do more then just follow. That surely you will believe, you will become one of his disciples, a true disciple, and eventually, unashamedly, you will belong to his movement and to his church. Jesus, of course, showed up 2,000 years ago with a specific agenda. He did not hide his motives. He came as God's son. He came God-made man, spirit wrapped in flesh. He came from heaven because the whole world was in trouble, in peril. Earth wasn't just far from heaven in proximity, but in posture, it had turned away from God completely. And so what did God do? He didn't judge. He didn't uh, act with vengeance. He came to rescue. He came to redeem you and me. Jesus came to redeem those that sin had ruined and reclaim everything, everyone, for God's glory. 
He alone has this ability because he alone is God. He is the full and final, clear and complete image, declaration and demonstration of God. John made this definitive statement about Jesus to emphasize that he wasn't just a way to God, but he was the way to God, the only way to God. John said if there's a perfect title for Jesus, it would be this. He is God's word made flesh. He is God's word, God's essence, God's presence conceived and born as a human. A a miracle beyond our comprehension, but Jesus would live up to this claim. He would speak with authority. He would live with integrity. He would act with power. He would do all this with love like none before or since him have ever. For all those reasons, Jesus, when he invited someone to follow him, they rarely hesitated. And if they did, they always regretted. In today's word, Jesus invites us to a life that cannot be experienced apart from him. No one can know God apart from Jesus. He makes our lives better and he makes us better at life. And I know there's some of you, I know maybe you're thinking today or you've heard someone say, well, if Jesus is the only way to a blessed life, if he's the only way to, to, to get better at this life or live the best life, a life of, of, of wholeness and completeness, you know, what about all those people? What about the majority of people who are successful and seemingly happy who don't follow Jesus? And that's a legitimate question, uh, but here's what I believe. And I, I think, you, you know, you can take this as a cop-out, but I really am unwavering on this. God is so good. And Jesus' death and resurrection accomplished so much and changed the nature of our world in such a way. When he sent his Holy Spirit into our world, he works through and around us and is always providing mercy and grace in ways that we can't and won't ever always see. He is loving towards and gracious towards everyone. He is blessing and benefiting people in ways that they may not realize it, in ways that are meant to point everyone to him. So that we are all without excuse. If we reject Jesus, we will have stumbled over grace upon grace. He is gracious and patient over us all. He works in ways we cannot see and don't always acknowledge. He's gracious in that he gives without our asking. He's patient in that he gives without our attribution or appreciating him. But for us, His church, we don't want to ever be found not following him intently. And by all means, we don't want to ever be found not responding to what he's doing in our lives. And if you're not a Jesus follower and you're just tuning in because you're curious or looking for answers, you have to agree the story cannot be ignored. The impact that Jesus has had on our world cannot be understated. The standards and values of our world today, Jesus, the presence in his church that he has, all suggest that there's something to the story of Jesus the Nazarene, that you can't afford to ignore. The reason we're doing this series called Jesus Followers is because we don't want to be found unprepared for the many different pathways that life may take us down, that God may lead us down. We want to hear what Jesus is saying to us and teaching us daily, and we want to be ready to reach our full potential every day. Jesus told a famous, uh, maybe his most famous parable about the road scenarios that we find ourselves in life. Uh, He told us, Actually, he promised us that no matter what road we may find ourselves on, that God may lead us down, that God has help in that setting. God has wisdom and guidance to give us. He talked about how most of our settings are dynamic. They're inconsistent. They're full of unknowns. And that's why when we're in a static place where we can hear and respond like this one, it's all the more important that we must take heart 
to listen to what God is trying to say, to hear the truth that God wants to apply to our minds and receive the grace He wants to give to our hearts so that when we go down the wayside or we go down the rocky road or when we go down into turmoil, we will be prepared for whatever might come our way. His ministry, Jesus' ministry, teaches us that God's Word comes to us in every setting with a purpose. The Bible as a whole shows us that God wants to equip us with an ability to withstand temptation and glorify God with our lives. And there are plenty of temptations along the way, plenty of distractions, plenty of challenges, plenty of hardships and unexpected twists and turns, plenty of overwhelming seasons. But with God's help, we believe that we can obtain an understanding and enduring and a trusting spirit that will lead us through life's trials and temptations. We've already talked about what we need to do to get that understanding, that enduring spirit. But today, we're going to finish off our journey with a conversation about how to obtain a genuinely trusting spirit. This, of course, building off of being inspired by this third pathway in the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13. So once more, I want to read the whole parable. It's very short, and then we'll dive into one specific setting that is in this parable. Matthew 13, on the, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth. But when the sun was up and they were scorched because they had no roots, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them out. Others fell on good ground, yielded a crop some hundred, sixty, thirty-fold. He or she who has ears to hear, let them hear. Now today we're emphasizing on verse number seven, where some of the seed, some of God's word, fell on thorns or among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked this seed out, choked this faith out. Verse number 22, down the chapter a little bit, Jesus is in the process of explaining the parable, and this is what he says about verse number 7 in correspondence. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns, he who received the seed as he was going among the thorns, he who was led down a pathway that led to thorns, he is he who hears the word and cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Now, the thing about this setting is I think the first two weeks we've addressed some things that once we heard them, we were all like, you know what, I really needed that. Yeah, you know what, I'm distracted and I need to keep myself focused on God and step with God. Yeah, I've been on some rocky roads. I might be going down some rocky roads sometime in life, so I need to have faith that can endure. But, but this one, we might have a harder time agreeing with God on what he is saying. And even more, we may have a hard time admitting that we need God's help on this because this world has its hooks in us in so many ways. And it's hard to quit, isn't it? It's hard to give up on some things. It's hard to see the trappings of this world in a mirror. And as we'll discover, some things we never had a chance of avoiding. So let's break down this setting a little bit. This setting, unlike the others, features a believer, the follower of Jesus, and they're under attack. The first one we see the believer gets distracted by what's going on around him and he drops the seed. The second we see the believer goes through some turbulence and he loses the seed. In this one, however, we find the believer under attack 
But in a very subtle way, they uh, underestimate the enemy because they don't realize it's an attack. And in fact, they dismiss the enemy and thus their faith is replaced with something less. More specifically, the thorns that choke out the world, that choke out the word, are identified as three things. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and Mark tells us the desires for other, just generic, but other things. These things combat our faith, attack our faith, and they attempt to, and will do so if we aren't careful, they will capture our devotion and attention away from God. The thing about this pathway that leads to a sudden briar patch or a sudden bush of thistles and thorns, the thing about this pathway, we usually don't see it coming. That nobody, come on, nobody goes down a pathway intending on getting caught in thorns. If you've ever been walking through uh, the woods or walking through a kind of a uh, overgrown pathway, you don't intend to walk into the, the pile that's going to scratch you up and catch on your clothes, right? Or worse, on your skin. It just happens, doesn't it? We don't see it coming. We usually only go down those pathways because we intend on not getting stuck. This way feels right, but it ends wrongly. There's an old proverb. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end of that way, or its end is the way to death. Now that's strong, I understand, but that's what Jesus is telling us here, that there's this destruction that comes, this choking out of our faith. Now, this isn't me going off on some tangent on the allure of certain sins. No, this is me, this is bringing our attention to something we may not be willing or may not really have understood to define and aren't aware of what it's doing to us. Jesus is talking about the temptation to choose to care about the wrong things. To choose to invest ourselves, to anchor ourselves, to lasso ourselves with, to put ourselves uh, under the weight of the wrong things. Now, when has it ever been wrong to care about something, maybe you ask? Listen, why can't we care about lots of things? Are we really risking losing our faith in God if we care about other things? And I hear all those questions, but here's the thing about this word care. The word care speaks of worrying. It speaks of being weighed down, and literally the word care in the Greek comes from a little word called meros, which means to divide up, to cut up. So when we think about this, when we care about something, we are basically dividing up a piece of our heart and we're saying to our heart, I'm anchoring you to this. I'm tying my heart to this. So everything that we care about, we're cutting a little piece of our heart off and we're saying, this goes to that, this goes to that. So here's what Jesus is saying. There is a risk. There is a risk that we fasten our hearts to the wrong thing. The result is like getting trapped in a briar patch, in a bundle of thistles, in a bush of thorns. We did not intend on it happening. In fact, we were climbing and chasing after great, important, venerable successes when we suddenly and often abruptly noticed that we were caught on a thorn. And don't you always notice it after it's already cut in? to the skin. You know what happens next, right? A heart that's caught on thorns will soon be torn in two, or maybe even more. 
Now, I brought a friend with me to help give y'all an example of how this can happen. Now, if you're watching and your kids are around, you might want to bring them over because they might be interested in this part. Um, since we can't have children's church right now, I thought it would be fun to kind of um, include, and, and you know, nobody's in the church right now, so nobody can roll their eyes when I do this, all right, when I usually do some of my goofy stuff. So bear with me, or brer with me. Um, that wasn't funny, but um, this is Br'er Rabbit. Maybe you've seen him before. Now, he's the star of a classic ride at Walt Disney World. Now, let me go ahead and say that this ride is, has some connections to some controversy. Um, it's going to be replaced in the future, and that's okay. It's probably time for that. Um, but in a vacuum, it's a ride about a rabbit, a fox, and a bear, nothing more, based on old fables told in the South long, long ago. It's about a mischievous rabbit wide-eyed rabbit who wants to go on an adventure and along the way he encounters two enemies a bear and a fox and mainly the fox is the the leader of the gang um they're bigger than him so they pick on him and they probably wanted to eat him but they you know it's a kid's thing so they didn't talk about that um but the rabbit gets in his mind that he wants to one-up them in life he wants to succeed over and against them so he tries to go forth outsmarting them outwitting him be outwitting them being stronger proving himself stronger so on this ride in this you know this this story you're ascending a mountain and the rabbit thinks he's going to continually outsmart the fox and the bear until he's caught by the fox. He's tied up and he's about to be roasted and then, and then the fox gets an even brighter idea. And Br'er Rabbit sees it coming when it's finally too late. And he begs, please, please, Mr. Fox. But, in la but alas, he's thrown into the briar patch. Now the story, as you would expect, is a Disney story. It ends happily ever after. But the moral of the story is Sometimes our ambition to ascend the mount sometimes in our ambition to ascend to the mountain we set ourselves up to descend into the briar patch and sadly I don't have any pictures of Lindsay and I going down the the mountain where you can see our faces I do know that last time we rode it we were on the front and I told her we won't get wet that was not true um, but Anyway, uh, th there's a whole lot in this life that we can get lost in. Let's just toss him over there. There's a whole lot in this life that we can get lost in. Uh, we can try to and, and seem to find joy in. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the end? What will be the result of this chase? There may be no harm in the premise, but the resulting chase may do more harm than we realize. Jesus makes the entry to this sort of pathway very wide, as in there are lots of subtle ways that we may be headed towards a briar patch, but I think the latter one builds on the former. The cares of this world leads us down a path of chasing riches and desiring other things that may well deceive us, even destroy us, destroy what makes our faith stand out, destroy our connection to God. And, and, and one thing about Jesus, he's so brilliant, he's so genius in his communication. He revealed to us that we underestimate what we care the most about. And by going after things of this world, we actually put at risk our greater desire for something even more important to us. We may be distracted by things of this world, but he says to us at the end of all of this, at the end of our life, when we get to eternity, we will then realize that we actually cared about something else more. We valued something else more than gaining the whole world. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says you value your soul more than you value anything else of this world. And if chasing after something of this world gets in the way of preserving and purifying and strengthening your connection to God, then it is not worth it. And actually, maybe do harm, more harm than good. We value our souls more than anything, and it's easy to lose sight of this, but we're tempted by so much, aren't we? Our souls, our state of being, and Jesus made it very clear throughout the Gospels, Jesus identified two things that we want more than anything. More than success, more than, than, than clout, more than a status. Two things that you want more than anything that you crave that only He can give us. Joy and peace. The New Testament repeats this over and over again, that if you want true joy and true peace, it's not found in any possession or any success or any accomplishment in this world. When we chase after this world, when we focus on and wrap our emotions and set our dreams on the riches and things of this world, we are actively displacing faith and forfeiting joy and peace. And I, I hear you. This is such a contrast to our American way of life. And I'm not saying that we should not work hard and get after it. But let me be clear. As Christians, we do that to honor God and obey Him. Not to get anything from this world. But knowing we're going to get even more from Him. Whether He gives it to us now or not. We serve faithfully and work diligently for His glory. Not for ourselves. So if this critiques or cramps our way of life, then maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a saving thing. Maybe we need to be checked. And if this is hard to accept as a Christian, it may suggest that we've already been compromised. Our faith has already been compromised. And come on, maybe we never had a chance. Maybe this is the world we've been born into. But the beauty of Christianity is we can be reborn and made ready for a better eternal world. I say all this because I wanted to push back and, and, and did push back against this line of thought. But the New Testament makes it very clear where true joy and true peace is found and how... At risk those are as we chase after the riches and cares of this world. The potential for this status, this goal, the goal of the world is to rob us of true joy and true peace and ultimately destroy our capacity for them at all. Think about it. Think about how insatiable and how unsettled chasing after this world makes you. If you're like me, you've grown up in this. The world has made us so unsettled and so anxious because we're always trying to get somewhere else. We're always trying to take one more step. We're always thinking like we're falling behind because we're always, but the reason why we become so anxious and so unsettled is because we're always trying to find something that won't fix anything. We're always trying to lay our hands on something that won't give us anything in our hearts. Our world tries to convince us the solution is found in arriving somewhere, but God tells us the solution is actually found in how we start or how we can restart. Now, remember that other famous parable Jesus told about the houses building on the sand and the rock? One, a secure foundation, the other, an unsecured foundation. So it could be the reason why we don't have peace and we don't have joy, the reason why our faith is always being displaced is the reason is that we're being saddled and we're so saddled by the weight and cares of this world and thus we're divided up and so worried our heart is in the wrong place and all of this sets us up for our faith, our joy, our peace being choked out 
and anxiety and insecurity set up camp. And they stay for a long time, don't they? I'd like to talk about anxiety for just a minute. Anxiety is a byproduct of a house built on the sand. When the foundation is not stable or secure, a lot can go wrong in the house, right? Primarily, though, what's one thing you don't want to have to worry about in your home? You don't want something to make it uninhabitable, right? You can handle something being broken, unfinished, but if something happens to, uh, to the brain trust of the house, the wiring, the plumbing, the pipes, the ventilation, there's a risk that you might have to leave the house, right? I mean, you can live without amenities, but there are some things that go down to the very foundation of the house, behind the scenes, foundation-level items, that if they are misfiring, the house might catch on fire or flood or something in between. So here's what I'm getting at. If the foundation of the house is off, the condition inside the house will be off. Now, let me, listen, I'm going to be very clear. I have a degree in training in theology, a little philosophy, a little physics. That doesn't help at all in this setting. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not completely in the dark on the subject, but I'm an amateur elementary theologian at best. In the South, we just call ourselves preachers. So you can take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But I know that this, our minds, is connected and inseparable from our hearts. And our hearts are connected to something that I can't point to, but it's oh so there, our soul. And the soul is connected to someone that I also can't point to, but he's everywhere, God. I get there's a lot of psychological chemistry that I might be bypassing, but here's what I know. The condition of this and this is directly tied to our foundation. And if there are things about our fallen natures that already make it difficult on our makeup, by all means, even more so, our foundation is so, so, so important, isn't it? I'm not underestimating the things that are working against us. I'm just saying that makes it all the more important that our foundation be what it needs to be. If we're ever going to find peace, we have to build our lives on Christ, on His firm foundation. If we're ever going to find joy, we've got to have no other foundation but Christ alone. But let's be real. We can criticize our culture. We can talk about the things that should have never gotten started or we've never should have gotten into. But this world we live in, and many of us, we've lived in houses with ill conditions from the very start. And we're probably going to live in those conditions until Jesus calls us home. So before we can treat, before we can improve the conditions, we're going to have to treat the problem. Because we may very well be living with that problem for the rest of our lives. And that's okay, that's a human thing. But at least we're aware of it. And at least we can imagine, we can acknowledge, yes, we are chasing after some things. We are wired to go after the wrong things. And we need to realize where the disconnect is and we need to treat it. For most of us, this world got its hooks in us but without us even noticing. It's not a 21st century problem. It's a fallen world problem. And come on, we've never, we're never going to shake the symptoms of living in a fallen world, so we're just going to have to turn to God for help. We can dream about an idyllic society all we want, but until kingdom comes, this is our home. And by God's grace, we can manage to overcome the briar patches we've grown accustomed to and learn to live free from the world's hooks and the world's chains. So the secret to not letting our faith get choked out, to finding peace and joy, is to find contentment. 
Because what does Jesus say is the problem? It's that we chase after the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We aren't content with who God has made us and with what God has given us. And we take our eyes off Him and we put them on the wrong things. Listen to how Paul, I know he was referencing this passage when he writes this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now this is where I stop and say, is this a joke? It shows how far we're gone, doesn't it? Because we don't just, we, we, we're way past worrying about food and clothes, right? We're worrying about so many other things. And we're grabbing a big handful of the world every little step we take, every little bit we climb, because we think we need far more. He says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, that choke their faith out. He says, for the love of money, the chasing after the world is a root of all kinds of evil. It is, through, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves, gotten caught on the thorns of this life and of this world. He says this later on in the chapter. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I know you're tempted to ignore this, but can you really afford to? If you continue to chase after the cares of this world and fast forward everything, you are damaging your soul, you are adding fuel to the tank of anxiety, I don't say any of this to stifle your ambition, but I say all of it to, to circumvent, to protect you from temptation and the destruction of your soul. You can't keep up this race. You've got to start relying on God and trusting that God will provide. God cares about you. We honor Him with our lives, yes, but we don't invest our souls into this world. We surrender our souls to Him. And this may change the decisions you make as a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a wife, as someone starting out a career. This may make you have to take a step back and say, what is most important? But here's what I can promise you today as you consider what you should do. Philippians 4 reiterates to us, God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory. God's not going to let us go without as we follow Him and honor Him. And I, I hear you, I hear you. We think, well, you know what, I'm just trying I'm just trying to get ahead. And I hear you, but never let your trying get bigger than your trusting. Try because you trust, not instead of trusting, because otherwise you might make it, but at what cost? The cost of your peace and your joy. We will only have this peace and joy when we trust in Him. In this life, we are tempted daily to put our weight on something or somebody to find security, support, that feeling of success. But in that moment of temptation, we have got to transfer our weight out of ourselves, out of this world, transfer our weight from ourselves onto Jesus.
I use the stool picture all the time because we are literally taking our weight off of ourselves and putting it onto something else. We have got to transfer our weight, put all of our trust on Jesus. Our world is fallen. By nature we will sink, but Jesus has provided a greater, has proved to be greater than our nature in its world. He is a solid rock. He is a firm foundation on whom we can rest and on whom we can trust. He cares for you. He will carry you if you just lean on Him completely. Before we close, I want to share with you how much of a struggle, um, how much I struggle with this. Uh, in terms of success and measuring one's accomplishment, how much the riches of this world tempt even me to displace my faith with anxiety and rob me of peace and joy that only God can give. As a pastor, you want to, be, you want to succeed. You want to be successful. This is my career, so I can't separate faith in my career like some can. It's easy to judge yourselves based on the growth of your church. It's easy to lose focus on caring for your flock because you're trying to add to your flock and while that's the goal, right, to add to God's kingdom, so it gets foggy sometimes, navigating what to chase after. Last year as a church, we were in discussion to make some pretty big changes, and I stand on the notion that all of that would have been for the good and long-term health of our church, but it was an opportunity we would have been foolish to turn away from, uh, but it came to a place where I, as a shepherd, couldn't ensure the spiritual well-being of my flock here, so we walked away from that deal. While most, if not all, of our people came away and shook it off, I walked away wounded, confused, and frustrated. I had to check myself, is your foundation still what it needs to be? Is your weight still all on Jesus? Because that, 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 that fine line between trying harder and trusting more, it's hard to see sometimes the difference, isn't it? Even in this business, the temptation is to shift it and ever so slightly change the balance of everything. The hunger for self-esteem and success can take away from the guarantee of peace and joy we have in Jesus. A few months later, I still had not fully recovered from this situation. I was praying for help, for something to lift me up, and around March of this year, I got what I was praying for, or what I thought I was praying for. A, a door opened, a conversation um, to, for a conversation to happen about a potential new opportunity for me that would take me away from here. I kept it private. Apart from Lindsay, nobody knew. Nobody still knows. I never had any formal conversations. I just prayed about it, and it was hard not to consider going farther because just of the idea of, of, of making it and trying harder and doing those things. A few days, though, for a few days, it made me feel good. It made me feel validated. But then... COVID happened. Before I could even consider uh, what if I was going to take the conversation further, God gave me an answer. Because as we entered an uncertain season for our church, for any church, I knew that I could, not have an, a, I could not have the slightest waver in my commitment to my place as the pastor of this church, as the pastor of where God has placed me. I knew that this church and its people needed a leader who was unwavering in commitment. For a week, I let my mind wander. But when COVID came, Lindsay and I knew that we had to put all hands on deck to provide care and support for all of you. It never went any farther, but that season that began was a confirmation for me that I was right where I needed to be, right where God had placed me. All of these months later, God continues to remind me that he's all that we need for validation and feeling better than good, to feel saved to find joy and peace. And though there are temptations to look elsewhere, 
we can't look to anybody but Jesus. You know what's funny? When we talk about contentment, we often think, you know, I don't want to settle. But the alternative is to settle for anxiety. Christian, don't settle for being unsettled. Trust in Jesus. Trust in him. Be content in him. Don't trade faith for fear. Don't trade assurance of peace for the allure of prosperity. Don't trade genuine and lasting joy for a temporary and counterfeit feeling. Don't trade God's favor for the word world's fervor and frenzy. Don't let this world choke out. Don't let the thorns of this world choke out your peace and joy. Let God adorn you with his grace and his glory. Would you join me today in turning our hearts toward him, leaning into him, shifting our weight fully on him? If, hearts, if our heart is divided up, he can make it whole again. We can be delivered from the thorns and briars. We can begin again. We can bring our fear, unfulfilled attempts, our disappointed and empty hearts and souls. Bring them to God. He can give you faith. He can give you peace and joy that only a child of God can know. Father, thank you for this time around your word. Thank you for warning us of the thorns that we often find ourselves engulfed in. Thank you for showing us that we don't have to head down those roads. We can be saved from the deceitfulness and cares of this world. We can come to you and have our souls fulfilled with true peace and true joy. We can find contentment in you. Father, it's in your name we pray and ask and trust and we ask you would give us a trusting spirit. Comfort us today with your word and your spirit. And may this song lead somebody to a place of seeking you, of saying no to the world, and saying yes to your plans for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.